You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. As for adults teaching, t- teaching time, uh, we've got a Bible reading. Bronwyn and I are going to do it together. It is a long one, so strap yourselves in. We're going to Acts chapter 21, verse 37, uh, and you can see the page number up there. And um, then we're going to go through to 2229. It's reasonably long. We're going to job share, and uh, hopefully it'll all work out all right. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, But they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the Lord and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. 
Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it illegal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I have to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Thanks, Bronwyn. Uh, our senior minister, Tim Johnson, is now going to come and unpack that passage for us. Welcome, Tim. Hi everyone, uh, as Kirk said, my name's Tim and uh, yeah, it's a privilege to open God's word with you tonight, uh, so I'd encourage you to have that passage open. Uh, it's good to be back with my church family after missing the last couple of Sundays because I was away in Papua New Guinea. That was just my alarm telling me to take my malaria tablet because <laughs> I've been in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Must be 6.30, it is. Um, <laughs> Sorry, weird. Um, authentic. Um, here's a picture of uh, some of what I was doing in PNG, just to get you a bit of a sense of it. So I was uh, uh, training 30 pastors and church leaders uh, from across quite a range of the country of Papua New Guinea, uh, working on biblical preaching uh, as they seek to preach God's word in their own context. Uh, so I want to say thank you. Thank you for praying uh, for me and uh, thank you also for being willing to release me um, to say, yep, head off. This is a key part of the sort of work that we want to support and do as a church. Uh, it's a wonderful expression of the fact that we as a church are committed to God's plan throughout the whole world. Recognition that God's got a global vision. It's not just you know, what God is doing locally in Diamond Creek and the surrounding areas, but God is working everywhere through the world and that we want to be committed to partnering in that. Uh, this is part of why we as a church give 15% of all of the money that comes in that we collect goes to mission partnerships, um, which some of them are local, but other ones are spread throughout the world. That's what we're committed to. We want people locally as well as around the world to know about Jesus 
and to be able to share him with the people that they come into contact with. And that's really what we're thinking about in this series. We're thinking about this series, The Church on Mission. And we've actually been reading through the book of Acts over the last few years together, working through section by section. And we're kind of picking it up again. So Paul's come back from a missionary journey that he was on, and now we're following what's happened to him around Jerusalem. Uh, So Andy, uh, our trainer youth minister, uh, sort of rebooted the series last week, uh, and from all reports, he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, So I was sorry that I wasn't here to hear it. Uh, But we're sort of picking up what's happening uh, to Paul as he's been arrested because people... Um, mistakenly thought he was bringing people who were not Jewish people into the temple, into areas which were reserved for Jewish people. And so they thought that he was, I guess, undermining what the temple is all about and he wasn't treating that sacred place respectfully. So in order to protect Paul and to calm a riot, the Roman soldiers come in and they're taking him into the barracks, which is where our passage today uh, picks up. And as we go through this story, we're thinking about uh, mission, the the church in the book of Acts sharing Jesus in their context and trying to learn lessons for ourselves as we seek to share Jesus locally. Because the thing about mission is, mission is not something that is over there, something that happens overseas by professional missionaries. It's also something that we do locally, wherever we are, whether at school or at work or in our local sporting clubs or our local area, we're all on mission together. Mission is both local as well as global. Mission is from everywhere to everywhere. It's all about people coming to know Jesus. So... In a way, what I was doing in PNG, um, working in a different cultural context, wasn't that that's the one week where the senior minister is doing mission and the rest of the time he's doing something else. No, I'm doing mission all the time. It's just working with you doing local mission or in this case, working with um, some pastors in Papua New Guinea, helping them do mission in their local context as well. So from this passage today, there's two things that I want us to think about that I think come out uh, as we unpack the passage. The first one is the power of language as we seek to share Jesus with people. And the second one is the power of story as we seek to share Jesus with other people. So uh, page 904, if you're using the Blue Church Bibles, uh, let's have a think about the power of language for sharing the gospel. One of the things that is striking in this passage is how important language is. So you see it there in verse 37. As Paul is being taken into the barracks by the Roman soldiers, he speaks to the commander and asks whether he can address the crowd that has gathered there. And he he says it The language that he speaks to the commander is Greek. He speaks to him in Greek. And we know that because it kind of surprises the Roman commander. He's surprised because he had this weird idea that Paul was an Egyptian terrorist. So the fact that he speaks Greek surprises him. They might think, why why would he think he was an Egyptian terrorist? Uh, 
We know from history, another uh, historian, a guy called Josephus, talks about that, that there was an Egyptian at the time who gathered people to himself just outside Jerusalem, and he said, the walls of Jerusalem are going to just collapse, and then we'll go in and we'll be able to kill off the Romans. Well, the walls of Jerusalem didn't collapse. Um, the Romans came in and arrested and killed a lot of those people who'd gathered, except the Egyptian who escaped. And so there's this kind of Egyptian terrorist at large, which is why this guy thinks that that might be who Paul is. Um, but when he speaks Greek, it clears up that misunderstanding and it enables him to communicate with this Roman commander in his preferred language. And then when he gets permission to address the crowd and he stands before them, twice it's noted that he speaks to the crowd, not in Greek, but in Aramaic, which is kind of a version of Hebrew, which was spoken at that time. So he chooses the language to speak to the crowd that he's addressing. Particularly important because they think that he is bringing outsiders into the temple, that he kind of is disrespecting Judaism, the Jewish religion. And so he speaks in the Jewish language of the time as he speaks to the crowd. So in the space of five verses here, three times it's mentioned which particular language Paul is choosing to speak depending on what's going to be most effective for what he's trying to communicate. It's the power of language for sharing the gospel that he's trying to share. Now, you might think that's a pretty basic point. Of course, the language that we share is going to make a difference if we're trying to communicate something. And it's true, it's a pretty obvious point, but it's a very important one. And it's one that was highlighted for me in the time that I was in PNG. So I did the training, as I said, with those 30 pastors, but I shared the training with these two uh, guys here in the photos that will come up on the screen. Uh, Pastor Willie on the left and uh, Pastor Jonathan on the right-hand side there. So it meant that when I was doing the training, I'd sort of speak in English, but these guys, when they did their training, they spoke English, but then they could slip very easily into pidgin um, if it wasn't being understood very well. And I was able to say to Willie and Jonathan, look, if I'm up here speaking and it's confusing people, you can tell that it's not coming across, you will not embarrass me or shame me if you jump up and then explain it in pidgin so that people uh, can get it more clearly. And it was the best training that I've been part of in 10 years working in PNG because the three of us were working together and they could use the power of language to make sure that we were communicating effectively. The training that we were doing also took place at Ukarumpa, which is the base in Papua New Guinea for SIL Wycliffe. Uh, Wycliffe is one of our key mission partners and their, uh, I guess, mission is to translate the Bible into people's heart language, making sure that God's word is available in the different languages that people speak throughout the world. And in Papua New Guinea, there is over 800 different languages spoken, like all of the different 
tribal languages and dialects, there's over 800. So there's a lot of work to be done in PNG, and the base uh, at Ukurumpa in the Eastern Highlands is pretty key for that. Making sure that people can understand God's word, but more than that, so that they can actually, I guess, experience it and feel the power of it in the language of their heart, their natural language, not their second or their third language that they've learnt. One of the translation projects that has just kicked off is super exciting for us as a church. Uh, this next photo that'll come up there um, shows a guy called Benny Gottschick. He's the white guy in that photograph. He's a German and he's just moved from Germany into quite a remote village uh, in the Finisterre Mountains in PNG. He and his family have just uh, started there because they're doing translation work into the Nankina language, which is uh, the language spoken by a number of people in that area. It's exciting for us because the guy on Benny's left is a man named Wianare Matimu. And this church has been supporting Wianare for about 10 years in the literacy work that he's been doing. He's been running a project called the Neudo Literacy Project, which uh, has been developing literacy in three different languages, including Nankina. Now, he's in a very remote village, as I said. He doesn't have mobile phone reception. He doesn't have email. So we as a church have been sending money to this guy to support the work that he's been doing, but we've been hearing very little back from what's been going on. And to be honest... I've been in conversations in the last five years where we're like, should we still be sending money? We're not really sure. We're not getting much back. We're not clear that the money we're sending is effective, that it's actually achieving what we're hoping to achieve. So how exciting was it to get an email from this guy called Benny saying, I know your church has been supporting Wianare, and as a result of that, we have just been sent as a family into this village to translate the Bible into Wienare's language. Would you help send him to a training course because this is now happening with Bible translation? How amazing is that, that we're part of that? So that Wienare and his village will then have God's word in their heart language, be able to communicate with power because they'll be able to communicate in the language God's word to people. And here's the icing on the cake. That plane that they're standing in front of is the same plane that I flew up to uh, Ukurumpa in. And who should be my fellow travellers on the plane but a whole bunch of Germans who came all the way at their own expense to fly into that little village because they are the support church for Benny. And they were going there to actually see his work, encourage him. And so it was this beautiful moment where me representing us and our church who supported Wienare, united with these guys who are Benny's support church who've sent him, going to support him, and together as churches, we're actually helping God's word be translated into this language so that God's word can go out with great power. We spent the day together because the plane was late and we spent time praying and just encouraging each other. It was an amazing thing. So it's an encouraging story about the power of language for communicating God's word 
just as we see here as Paul was doing it nearly 2,000 years ago. So that's the first one, the power of language for communicating the gospel. Um, But again, this is not just something that happens globally. Yes, it should encourage us to be supporting translation work that happens overseas, but it should also be a challenge for us about how we use language in our mission locally. Um, You probably don't think about your language as a gift from God or a tool that you can use. But the people that you go to school with or the people that you work with, the people you live around, presumably most of them speak the same language as you do. So you're ready-made for using that language to actually communicate in a way that they can understand. Like, that is way more effective than sending someone from overseas who has to learn the language into your context in order to share the good news of Jesus with them. You're already equipped, you're already there in order to do that. More than that, as you know, even when people are speaking uh, the same language as another person, like, you're all speaking English, there's kind of local variations in language, different subcultures or different groups speak in similar ways to each other. Um, People of different ages have different variations in language. Sometimes the things that uh, uh, the high schoolers here say, I have to go, sorry, I don't quite understand what that means. Is it like we didn't didn't use that expression um, when I was at school? And so the language that we use sort of equips us for the groups that we already hang out with and enables us to sort of tailor the way that we share the good news of Jesus in a way that people can understand. We should think carefully about the language that we use so that we can explain things simply and clearly so that people can know Jesus. One of the dangers for Christians is we tend to start speaking our own language, kind of Christianese or using jargon words that we hear and pick up. And we've got to be really careful not to do that because that can confuse people, but to explain things simply and easily because language is powerful as we seek to share the gospel. So here's the challenge for you. How are you using that gift that God has given you of your language tailored for the groups that you're connected with in order to share something of the good news of Jesus with them? So the power of language for sharing the good news of Jesus. But the second point that comes through quite powerfully in this passage is the power of story for sharing the gospel. The bulk of the rest of uh, today's passage, as Kirk and Bronwyn read it to us, um, is Paul's speech that he gives to the crowd when he gets up to speak in front of them. And when Paul gets in front of this crowd, he doesn't give like a lecture or a theological kind of treatise, what he does is he shares his story with the crowd. He talks about where he's come from and his background. He talks about how he came to meet the risen Jesus. And he speaks about the impact that Jesus has had on his life. Now, in the book of Acts, you actually get to hear Paul's story three times. So back in Acts chapter 9, when Paul meets Jesus, when he's converted, it's narrated how that happens, right? Luke, who's writing this, sort of tells the story as it happens. 
to Paul. Then here, you get Paul telling the story in his own words to this crowd in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 26, you get to hear Paul tell the story again, but this time to King Agrippa, this ruler that he's brought before. So he tells his testimony again. And what's clear is that although this is the same story, it's not like it's totally different, it's the same events that he's describing, but each time he tailors it for the particular audience that he's speaking to. So here, standing on some steps, facing an angry mob who want to lynch him because they feel like he's been disrespecting the temple and leading people away from the Jewish faith, he emphasises, in the way that he tells his story, his Jewish background, his respect for Jewish faith. So, he stresses in verse 3 that he's a Jew, that he was brought up in Jerusalem, that he's been trained by probably the leading Jewish scholar of the day, and he's so zealous for God that he's actually persecuted Christians in the past. That's what he was doing as he was heading to Damascus to wipe out these Christians who he felt at the time were leading people away. When he gets to the part where he introduces Ananias, the guy who comes to help him uh, after he's met Jesus and he's blinded, the way he introduces Ananias is by describing him as a devout observer of the Jewish law and that he's someone who's highly respected by all the Jews in Damascus. So he's telling his story in a way to say, look, I've got a background in the Jewish faith just like you. I'm just like you in that I wanted to wipe out Christians. But then he says, but then I met Jesus. He had an experience of actually meeting the risen Jesus. And that totally changed his perspective. And he points out that having met Jesus, he needed to make a response to Jesus. Uh, Verse 16 that Ananias said to him, you need to be baptised, that is, you need to publicly declare your allegiance to Jesus, that you want him to be the boss of your life. And by doing that, by committing to Jesus, calling on his name, you'll have your sins washed away. He kind of presents the gospel, that if you come to Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus and declare that publicly through baptism, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection completely deals with your sin, washing you clean by coming into relationship with him. And then he talks about the fact that now he's got a new mission. Having come to be a follower of Jesus, he's got a job to do because Jesus is his boss, Jesus is his Lord, and the task that Jesus has given him is to tell other people all throughout the world about him. He's got a particular job to share the good news of Jesus with those who are not Jewish people, Gentiles, those who are outsiders, and that's what he's aiming to do. Well, unfortunately, it's that last point that the crowd can't accept. They can't accept the fact that God would accept uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, into relationship with himself without them first becoming Jews. And so they don't like the fact that Paul... Uh, is explaining things this way. So the riot starts up again. Paul's only saved by the Roman soldiers, uh, removing him into the barracks. Uh, So you might say in a way, well, story wasn't really that good in this instance. It nearly got Paul killed. 
but the point is that he was able to communicate effectively. They, they got the point that he was making. It wasn't that they were confused. It was actually that they were offended by the gospel. I mean, the gospel is that God welcomes people of any race, any nation, anyone who wants to come to Jesus can receive forgiveness and new life in him. God doesn't discriminate. He welcomes anyone through Jesus Christ, but it is only through Jesus Christ. So they were offended by the truth that he declared very powerfully through story, telling his story. I don't think it's any different for us. In fact, I think that the power of story is even greater in our postmodern culture than it was even in Paul's day. In our culture, people don't want to just know that something is true. They also want to know that it works. I mean, truth is not unimportant, but if it's not effective, it doesn't do something, then people are less interested about it. And telling our story is really about talking about how we have encountered Jesus in our own life and experience. Telling people how Jesus has made a difference to us. That's what the power of story, that's the power that story has. Now, that's why we have our sort of come and see services here where we interview members of our church about what it means for them to know Jesus as we share that with other people. But it's a challenge for each of us. Now, Lisa's talked about uh, going on beach mission, but in our day-to-day -day interactions, there's opportunities for each one of us to actually share something of our story with the people that we come into contact with. Can you simply and compellingly share about the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Is that something that you feel prepared and equipped to do? Could you talk about, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus? This is what it was like to come to understand who Jesus was and to come into a relationship with him? And this is what life has been like since I've known Jesus. Could you kind of talk people through those stages like Paul does here? I'm not talking about having sort of a script that you read off in a really clunky sort of way. I mean, clearly, Paul tells his story differently depending on the people that he's speaking to. So it's got to be adapted, it's got to be natural. But if we don't at least think about what our story is, and how we could explain it simply to other people, then we won't be prepared to do it when the opportunity comes for us actually to talk to people about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Uh, you might not have a dramatic conversion story like Paul does here. It's pretty amazing. We're bright lights and being blinded. Um, I mean, you might not even be able to uh, identify clearly a sort of a, a time before I knew about Jesus um, that's, that's the same with me. I've kind of always known about Jesus, but I would talk about different growth points in my life where I came to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, where I was able to say, yeah, look, this is something that I want to uh, have as a key part of my life. Talk about crises of, faith, of doubts that I've had in my life where I came to a deeper understanding of Jesus. Whatever your journey is, it's about sharing that with other people. If you've been um, a Christian for a long time, it may not be 
what you share with people is as much about why you became a Christian so much as why you're still a Christian now. Um, the reason that you first became a Christian when you were younger uh, might be very different from the understanding that you now have and the ways in which Jesus has been faithful to you through the subsequent parts of your life. But whatever your story is, each of us has a unique and a beautiful story to tell. And it's powerful to actually talk to people about the impact that Jesus has had in our lives, about the way that God's Holy Spirit has changed us and shaped us, been with us through really tough times that we might have had in our life. It's worth sharing with people so that they too can know Jesus and the power that he has in their lives as they come into a relationship with him. As a church that's on mission together, we're on mission together locally, we're committed to mission that God is doing throughout the world. Language has great power. How are you using the tool of language that God has given you? And God's given each of us our own story as he's related to us. Each of us has a story to tell. How are we using that and the power of our story to share with other people? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your gifts to us. Thank you that you call each one of us uh, to relationship with yourself, that you wash us clean of our sins, but that you actually give us a mission to do, to share this same good news with other people. So we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives to do it effectively. Help us to use the language that you've given us. Help us to use the stories that you've given us to tell. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 